Hello and welcome to All Tomorrow. I'm Peter Schechter. And I'm Moni Jensen, and this is our fourth year's end on All Tomorrow. And it's time for our end of the year episode, where we recap the major trends for the year and look ahead to what is to come. And this time, our friend DJ Patterson from Longview Global Advisors will join us with his annual forecast. But first, Peter, can't believe it's a fourth year. I still can't get over it. First, let's start with some snapshots of this unbelievably strange year. No better place than to reflect than we think about the words of the year chosen by the main dictionaries, Merriam-Webster and Oxford. Last year's words, we and we did discuss them, Oxford was climate emergency and Webster was they, the singular non-binary term. And think back and things have changed so much. It's just unbelievable how these words sound like they come from the Napoleonic era. I know it seems like so long ago, but it was just last year and 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 now times have changed. The word for Webster in 2020, surprise, surprise, was pandemic. And Oxford, for the first time, actually picked several phrases. Some of them were kind of whimsical. Some of them were very serious. And their argument was that we are in, and I quote, the year which cannot be neatly accommodated in one single word. So only the Brits could make it sound so fancy. Their words were COVIDiot, Black Lives Matter, Juneteenth, Blur's Day, which would describe today very well. So terms that describe our collective terminology, and they're certainly, certainly a reflection of our mood. But speaking of terminology, Peter, what are your own words of the year? Oh my God, Muni, what a question. I mean, it's so difficult to distill this anus horribilis down to a few words. And I can just tell you more than words, my deepest wish is for this year to end as fast as possible. But I mean, if you want a couple of words, let's go to the Ds, division, dislocation, and disaster. Three Ds that each tell a story about political polarization, economic impoverishment, and calamity for so many individuals, so many families, so many businesses, and so many dreams. It's true. And I'm, if I try to be upbeat, I, I would add words like vaccine and Biden. But I'll tell you what words I'm very tired of. Resilience, reinvention, canceled, as in canceled flights, canceled prom, canceled graduation, plans, holidays, school, everything. But definitely my real word of the year is Zoom and all of the other associated apps. Work, family, school, speaking engagements, everywhere. That's the way we communicate. It's a noun. It's a verb. It's an adjective. Adjective and, and we love it because we need it, but we also hate it and end of the day, very, very exhausted. Yet here we are broadcasting remotely. That's pretty good, Mooney. I, I, I like that, that you chose Zoom. That's, uh, that's, that's imaginative. I was trying to be sort of ponderous and, <laughs> and, uh, and political and you like, that's, that's good. But, you know, I, look, whatever words, even your Zoom word, you know, was all about sort of difficulties and, you know, all the words seem to just pinpoint to what is this ongoing global reality of culture wars and, you know, health and the use of technology in our daily life and the reshuffling of worldwide power structures. And, you know, when we translate all of this into geopolitics, there are obviously specific countries and issues that have changed. And this is all having an impact on power beyond the traditional geographic boundaries that we're all used to talking about, like, through in nation states and things have seemed to change beyond that. And and it's 
funny because you can look at things in in different ways. So if we can analyze geopolitics as the behavior of the giants that are always in the spotlight. So of course, China and its expansionism, the US with its fresh new administration, Brazil and the struggles with climate change, France, which is a fulcrum of secularism versus xenophobia and the Gulf and the realignment of the Arab world and the mysteries surrounding Russia. It's, um, it's, a, it's one way of looking at this snapshot. Absolutely. That's, that's totally correct. And look at the, even the, the economist also came out with its futurology recently, focusing on vaccines, economic recovery, the return of the United States, the role of companies, of travel companies in particular. And it was actually, you know, refreshingly and surprisingly an upbeat list because especially in light of, you know, at least my certain global state of mind, but what I guess is everybody's state of mind. And, you know, I think there's some common threads in all these analyses and grave concerns in these very strange times and confusion reigns. Will this, will this all bring a better world or is our, is the world that we live in going to last now for, you know, yet another year? And so this is why we um, decided to bring in a real forecaster. So DJ and the Altamar team met by accident and by LinkedIn and have become uh, good friends over the course of the year. And DJ Peterson is the founder of Longview Global Advisors. So we thought the name of his company is also very fitting, a research and consulting firm. Um, he lives on the West Coast and he uses his past experience at companies like Rand Corporation and Eurasia Group, among others, to talk about about geopolitics and the forces shaping our current global narrative in a very creative way. And every year he publishes his trends. And this time we have him at Altamar to discuss his very own long view. So welcome, DJ. It is a true pleasure to have you. Thank you, Muni. It's an honor to be in your program. You're one of my favorite podcasts. Well, that's, that's great. And um, you're one of our favorite guests then after today. Before we move on to 2021 and your trends, I think it's a, it's a good time to make an assessment of 2020 beyond, you know, the, the, the horrible things. But in last year's forecast, you predicted already slow growth as the biggest risk. And that was even before COVID, but you were right. And you do mention it again for 2021. You talked about China, inequality, climate change, a U.S. culture war, uncertainty on Brexit, EU leadership. So it was um, very prescient. It sounds a lot like current challenges. What has the virus changed or amplified in this past year? Um, this is a a, re a remarkable year in the sense that um, 2020 wasn't the year in many ways that we planned for. There were so many big issues that were just put on the table, such as obviously fighting the coronavirus, life and death for societies in many ways and businesses. So in some ways, the agenda was completely changed at the top level for um, 2020. But in many ways, a lot of these underlying issues that you mentioned that we covered that we thought would be important in 2020 are still present in, in, in going to be present in 2021 and, and probably beyond. You mentioned the word amplified, and I think that's really important. It's amplified a number of these issues, such as inequality. Just one example, business. 30% of small businesses in the United States, or 30% of the revenue, um, of small businesses in the United States has gone away. So this is huge issues. And this really kind of exemplifies this divergence between Main Street and Wall Street. 
same time, I think another word to talk about 2021 is fragility. The sense that governments are having to deal with so much, all these issues that are on the table, that have been on the table and will be on the table. Governments have much more limited resources and huge pressures to deal with so many different things. So amplified and fragility, I think, are two words for 2021. And you do describe 2021 as a dramatic year, and you talk about um, leaders. What is the most urgent task at hand for global leaders? If you're talking about business leaders, I think it's, it's actually a strategic issue. And that is actually to try and regain some perspective on the world. So many of my clients, so much of the conversations have been hair on fire in 2020. And people in the middle of crisis management and dealing with the issues that are right in front of them. I've gotten very few countries about, hey, what's going on in Mexico? What's going on in the Middle East? What's going on in Southeast Asia? Um, so I think it's going to be really important to try and gain some perspective in 21 and re-engage with the world in many ways, to think about what are the opportunities that are out there, but also what are the uh, perhaps the looming uh, challenges. DJ, well, let's talk about 2021. And one of the most controversial things that you say is about the United States itself. And you mentioned that the U.S. now is one of the top political risks. The country is obviously bruised from the painful election that we just went through and, and are continue to feel the reverberations of that. Do you feel any uh, relief and confidence that the country will now calm down with a Biden administration? I think it'll calm down a little, but I don't think the political risks go away. And I don't think the election solved a lot of problems. Here, we're now in a transition period. And typically what pundits focus on are the appointments and the policy priorities of the new administration. But I think there's actually a bigger issue that, that takes precedence. And that is the governance challenge that the Biden administration is going to have. They have to actually gain the authority and the credibility and gain control of the government. They have to rebuild trust in government. And what we've seen already in the transition is the outgoing Trump administration, Donald Trump himself, have really tried to, to, to stymie that. So a basic governance uh, challenge lies out there. I think a second problem that hasn't gone away is this issue of partisanship and polarization. I think what the in early indications that we've seen from the GOP leadership in the Senate, for instance, is that they're not inclined to reaching across the aisle, even as Biden has tried to pursue that strategy. Very clearly, people on both sides, on the left and the right, are very angry at the outcome of the election. And they're not finished fighting. And so this idea of bipartisanship almost smacks of shut up and sit down. And, there, and, and we certainly see this um, with Trump partisans not willing to acknowledge his, his loss. And then finally, I think there's this issue of slow growth. And if the economy doesn't rebound quickly and strongly, if we see an uneven recovery, if we see inequality continue, then it really bodes ill for political stability and what happens in the next elections in 2022 and even 2024. So let's move on to other parts of the world that concern you. You, you I know you mentioned Mexico, uh, the Sahel, but I'm going to just let you talk about what you see as the sort of geographic points. Where, where, should, uh, where should our listeners be mind be roving now on a map that, are, that you see are the 2021 hotspots? That's a great question. And in many ways, 
it's a very muddled picture and it's a very unclear picture. Typically, when we produce these outlooks, we have very clear calls on the future of a specific country, Brazil, Mexico, Saudi Arabia, Vietnam. But I think one of the really interesting stories about where we are in the world right now, again, is this lack of vision or a clear narrative. Uh, let me take Mexico for one example. Typically, we, companies, business leaders have a very clear call on the trajectory of where that, where that economy is going. What do they see as the opportunities and risks? And Right now, the story is very muddled. We have a, a government that has been ha very ham-handed in its response to COVID. If we look before that, it's been very ambivalent about FDI. We see really rising concerns about organized crime per permeating the government as well as uh, security risks on the streets. We had a USMCA that was na uh, negotiated, and in the aftermath, one would think that companies are focusing on the opportunities um, with the global trend in nearshoring. Where does Mexico fit in? And in fact, we've seen no action, no effort by companies to say relocate the factories from China to Mexico. And so I think whether we're talking about the Middle East, whether we're talking about Africa, um, and certainly Latin America... One of the big challenges is actually getting a clear narrative on where these countries are going, getting the intelligence on the ground. And part of this is we can't travel. Um, and again, part of this is, is they've really been pushed off the radar by COVID and the emergency. One of the things that I find interesting on the slow growth issue is this whole, is there a, a conundrum with the accent that people are placing, and in particular, the Biden administration is placing on the issue of sustainability, does that somehow hurt growth or does sustainability and the concentration on sustainability uh, actually accelerate growth? It's, it's a huge debate in the economics community right now. And for instance, how much should infrastructure spending or related to that um, investments in renewables and, and, and addressing climate change? Um, how much should be spent um, on addressing, say, these, these other issues at the same time that you're trying to restart growth? And again, I think it's a larger issue is even in the economics community, we, we see it here in, in the United States and in Congress, real division about whether we should be spending more or actually maybe even tightening our belts at this point. I think one of the clear issues that you see in, across emerging markets is they are, have been starved of capital. So whether it's restarting the economy or trying to invest in people or in renewable energy, technology, uh, broadband, the internet, one of the striking realities is, is they have lit, so little money in their hands right now. DJ, let's go back to your trends list and every trend list ever for the past few years, which has included China. You ask yourself whether China rules the world. First question is, does it? And then, of course, what are the threats and then what are possible opportunities for the West in light of this uh, looming reality? This was a question we asked several years ago and we returned to it again this year. And the, a key point is, is that in 2020, China is expected to grow perhaps around 2%. This is while the rest of the world is going backwards, where India could contract by 10%, for instance. And so I think one of the key issues is that when we emerge from 2021 and are looking forward to 2022 and 23, China as a global player is going to be so much bigger, even bigger than we thought before. So 
it's going to have its really own economic dynamism. A key opportunity within this is the, the Chinese government's focus on domestic growth and specifically opportunities in the financial services sector. They want to liberalize their economy, uh, their financial services sector. They want Western banking firms to enter the market in part because China needs capital to pursue its development agendas. The regime wants its, its people to have access to high quality savings opportunities and investment opportunities. And I think also smartly, Beijing knows that if they can, if, if China can integrate its, its capital markets with the United States, it actually ties Washington's hand in how much it can put pressure on, a ge- geopolitical pressure on China. So I would emphasize both the domestic market opportunities to the extent that they are available, and specifically financial services as being really big growth opportunities in the coming years. So as this puzzle shapes takes to shape with China, I guess, being the biggest piece, what is the role of other countries like Australia, like Japan, and regions such as Europe in reshaping uh, this map with, with China at the head? Yeah, the interesting story is, is that As China grows economically and as its weight has grown geopolitically, it's also scaring a lot of countries. And I think that was an important story in 2020, is this rising perceptions, not in the United States, which already has them, but in other countries, in Europe, Australia, Canada, real concerns about their exposure, overexposure to China. And so you you see Australia, for instance, really struggling with this both dependence and trying to see, uh, assert its independence and really hoping that it has Washington, has the United States as a friend. Similarly with Japan and the Europeans, they're all actually looking to the Biden administration as potential, uh, this is a potential area for them to cooperate on, is coming up with a more comprehensive strategy for which is basically a global rebalancing against China. We're talking about Europe a little bit, and it seems like all we hear about Europe is Brexit. But beyond um, Brexit, what are the main challenges that Europe is facing right now? The main challenge is is keeping the bloc together in many ways. 2020 was a very interesting story for a year for Europe Um, with the pandemic. What we saw at the beginning was real fracturing of policies and governments really going their own directions. But by the summer, what we saw is really pulling together a consensus, uh, everything from uh, purchasing vaccines to issuing bonds in order to support uh, recovery efforts across the, the block. And that was very significant. But now, as we're getting to the end of the year, those initiatives actually aren't moving forward as quickly as hoped for. And so the question is, Will Europe hold together even as the economic damage is getting worse? And I would flag a couple issues. First of all, one, the European economy is heavily dependent on banks and bank lending. And there's an emerging question around non-performing loans. That reminds me of what happened after the global financial crisis, which it took several years of, of economic pressures to rise, which then emerged into the Eurozone financial crisis. And so I think one question to ask about Europe is, is there a slow moving financial crisis potentially going to reemerge in 2021 or 2022? 
And then finally, another big issue I would put on the radar is borders and, and security. And what we saw this year, again, was really great concern around extremism and violence and the desire to somehow get control of the borders. And that is a big, big, big challenge for uh, European governments. If they don't, if they can't, if they're perceived as not being able to control their borders, this is really calls into fundamental question the, the purpose of the European Union. Let me just follow up on that for a second, DJ. Are you now optimistic as we turn the year about a Brexit that is softer and more malleable? Or are you seeing still disagreements loom large? This is a classic European conundrum, I think. They go to the very last minute brinksmanship, to, and then they somehow pull out a solution. Sometimes it's elegant, sometimes it's inelegant, and we see this with Brexit. We don't know what it's going to look like still, and the, the, there's a real potential that um, they'll kick the can down the road, in part because the economic situation, both in the UK and the EU, is very dire because of the COVID pandemic. And so you can see where policymakers want to avoid additional injuries caused by Brexit. Um, Another big question, though, is has Brexit gotten lost in the noise? There's some some people who believe that the disruption caused by COVID um, is so great that the Brexit will be, a, a, you know, a drop in the bucket, so to speak, um, and will be immaterial. I don't have a clear answer to, to that yet. Let's move to tech. I mean, tech has become now a uh, issue that affects us in our homes both positively and negatively in terms of privacy issues and surveillance capitalism, but also it's become a geopolitical issue. And what trends do you see in the next year about how technology will be a, an important factor in setting geopolitical fights and alliances uh, altogether? I think there's two big issues here. One is, is the geopolitics, and the second is does tech, how does technology win in the future? And I'm a student of the Cold War. I was trained as a Sovietologist. And what a hallmark of the first Cold War was competing technologies. The Soviets had their airplanes. Americans had their, their uh, airplane producers. Soviets had their rockets. Americans had rockets. Soviet had their computer platforms. Americans had different computer platforms. And so what we're seeing, I think, is going to be a very big story that started in 2020 and a little bit before, but will really consolidate in, in 2021, is the rise and emergence of two technology platforms. Part of this is geopolitics. Ameri the Ameri U.S. government doesn't want to trust um, Chinese technologies. And the second one, which you alluded to around surveillance, is uh, will Amer U.S. companies and U.S. consumers really trust techno uh, Chinese technology platforms? So I think it's we're moving into clearly an era of two pathways and companies and countries are going to have to choose. I think the second issue about winners is, is very important. Technology was a big winner in the, in the pandemic, um, e-commerce, but also just the broader rush to digitalize services and um and 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 products and so I, do you know I, I don't mean I didn't mean to interrupt. Do you know that Mooney's word of the year is Zoom for better or she worse? She said this at the, at the beginning. <laughs> yeah. So I completely I completely hear what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, and so you had these tremendous winners, and the question is, well, people and governments are going to be looking at them and say, well, 
are they paying their fair taxes? This is a big issue in Europe. Um, do they have too much power? Antitrust is, 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 has been emerging, um, certainly against Google in the United States and Amazon in, in Europe. These cases are now pending. So while technology is going to be winning in the marketplace, it's facing increasing political risks in the social and political arenas. Another story is the realignment of the Middle East, and in particular, the realignment with Israel. What are your thoughts on how this can either ignite or appease hotspots like Iran and Syria? You know, one of the interesting stories that I found about Iran in particular is that it's been avoiding, in, in, in these many crisis moments, it's really avoided controversial or provocative actions. And so we have a country, we have many countries in the region which are suffering greatly in the pandemic. And there's, there's always this debate in political science whether this makes them more conservative behaving or perhaps more radical and striking out. And it's, it's, it's very, what we've seen, for instance, with Iran is consistent, actually, in many ways, conservative behavior. And we see this now kind of this really interesting pragmatism with the UAE and Saudi Arabia um, and other countries and its, its relationship with Israel. And I think there's a, there's a lot of perhaps optimism that this can set a new course for the region and start moving it away from these kind of traditional geopolitical fracture lines. DJ, we, we appreciate your sharing your long view for 2021. Now uh, close your eyes and, and give us the longer view. So if you come back next year, uh, what are you going to say about 2022? Well, first of all, I think what the world looks like at the end of next year is going to be very different from where we are. Let's just assume that vaccine rollouts are successful, certainly in advanced economies and in, in parts of the emerging, emerging world. But 2021 is really going to be so a year of recovery. And I think one question that is we should be asking or, or thinking about is, in, in a year's time, are we going to be exhausted? Are we going to be contented? Are we going to be partying like it's 1999? Um, and I think that leads to a, a big question that it's out there. How are people's tastes going to change, whether it's travel and leisure, the office, views of government? There's a lot of punditry right now, but actually we're still in the middle of the pandemic and it still needs to play out. And I think it'll be really interesting to see in a year's time where we are and how we're feeling. And then finally, I would say, there's a number of things that are being set in motion now. Um, as I mentioned, in Europe, there's a potential that a financial crisis is now being set in motion, which could perhaps lead to political crises. As I alluded, in the United States, the political troubles might reemerge in the election of 2022 and 2024. But also want to point to innovation. I think this is very interesting, is that what we've seen is tremendous change being forced in 2020. Com companies doing things that they didn't think they could do before. And we've seen in, in biopharma huge accomplishments, we think, in, in the vaccines arena. So what innovations are being set in motion now that are going to be spinning out in two to three years' time? And so at next year, it'll be really interesting to, to take this longer-term view. Hopefully, we'll be able to take a breath and get a bit of a longer-term view on, on, on where the world is going, where, what are tastes, 
what is in it, where, where is innovation leading us? What's the temperature of the world? DJ Peterson, thank you. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you for joining us in Altamar. Thank you for having me. Peter, do you still stand by your dismal, dreary, depressing words of the beginning of the podcast, or are you a little bit more optimistic? Mooney, you're such a poet, just like me. It's <laughs> you got the th- now we have sixties. I think that there is a. It's a year of transition, 2021. It's a year of evolution to something that hopefully will cl- be clearly better. But I think it's going to take time, and there's going to be a lot of pain. And I think that the betterness will be, like everything else in life, very unequally distributed. I think it's, it's the two sobering things I got also from from DJ. One is uh, that we have to move beyond the punditry, both in the U.S. and in the rest of the world. And the second is that we still are in the middle of the pandemic and that regardless of the hopeful news on vaccines, there's still a lot of, of troubles to come. There, there's no doubt. But um, we'll leave you with this uh, holiday forecast and we wish all of our listeners the best of holiday seasons and a great new year and we'll see you next year on Altamar. Thanks for listening. <laughs>